This is um, oh, <laughs> Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio <laughs> with Emily D <laughs> and Pierre Novelli. Uh, you can text the show at eight twelve fifteen. Follow the follow us on X yeah. and Instagram at Frank on the Radio. Email via Frank at AbsoluteRadio.co.uk. There's um, all your ways of getting in touch, and it's an interactive show in many ways. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just three people in a room talking. Not that that wouldn't be brilliant, but with your input... Imagine. ...it becomes post-brilliant. <laughs> oh, so I have, my child is with me today, Boz. He's sitting in the corner eating uh, peanut butter on toast. Mm. Uh, we went last night to see uh, Back to the Future, the musical. Oh. oh, did you? Which was, I have to say, tremendous. Oh, is it? And um, we went back. Oh. We went back and met the cast... After, which was um, I, you know, I arrived. I suppose as something from the fifties arriving <laughs> in their midst. It was a very similar thing. It was great. It's very interesting seeing the cast in full outfit and makeup, close up like that. You really feel. You know, we had our picture. Buzz sat in the DeLorean oh. and stuff like that. Did the musical, like the film, retain the same? In hindsight, odd focus on Libyans. Um, Libyan no, terrorists. no, they, they don't feature. Okay. No, we got we were very obsessed by that in the eighties. Yeah, what I'm was sorry, that about? I don't know. We'll sit down and explain one day to you. We <laughs> yes. couldn't help it. No, I thought sensibly that uh, that strand was removed. <laughs> yeah, when I watched it as a kid, I thought, oh right. But they um, they very much slightly... retained the. Um, being hit on by your mother theme, which I thought uh, <laughs> was quite tricky. Ask. They kept that problematic aspect in. Yes, in case you don't know Back to the Future, um, a, a boy, a young man, goes back to the 50s from the 80s where he meets his mother as a young girl and she falls for him. Mm. And it's um, hashtag orcs, mm. um, as you can imagine. And is there a... Oh, I think I might go and see this. Yeah. Don't I- let the sun. Yes, and it was some. Um, Did they was- go for the Huey Lewis uh, soundtrack? They they're all singing, all singing, all dancing. Okay. It's um, and I'll tell you what happened. I met Doctor Brown, who's um, you know, the main, uh, well, sort of one of the two main characters, and um, he said, "You got me a job once," and I said, "Really." And I'll tell you what happened. He played Max Bialystok in The Producers, which is obviously a great part. But the reason he ended up playing it is Richard Dreyfus was on my chat show and he was struggling in rehearsals as Matt Bialystok. <laughs> and to the point where he said, look, I'm begging, begging your viewers, I need to tell them this, don't come to the show for the first six weeks. It won't be ready. <laughs> Apparently, oh the publicist was cr- physically crying in the green room because <laughs> it's like the worst. You go on a show and say, don't come, is a different... It's worse sort of, than not getting on a TV it show. It is, yeah. yeah. It's oh anti-publicity. So he didn't last much longer and then... Um, and then Dr. Brown stepped in. Oh, right. But it was brilliant. I mean, I don't want to give away, but it's like it's a complete... The whole theatre becomes a sort of a time travel was, capsule. Was there... I'm trying to imagine where I would try and insert music into that <laughs> film. Was there a sort of musical number where Dr. Brown explained building a time machine in a sort of fun way? There's a very moving song about him saying this is for the dreamers and he sings this song for everyone who's tried to do something that people have laughed at. I suppose from the same school as they all laughed at Christopher Columbus Mm. when he said the world was round. you know that song? Well, they all laughed at me this morning when I suggested a jacket swap with Mm. Buzz. Yeah. We both had denim jackets on and we decided to swap and to my absolute delight... I'm wearing it now. Yes. No, it, it fits. It My 11-year-old's denim jacket fits the 
67-year-old Emily D. That oh, was her. I know. But I don't know. I believe that. I thought it was better to say an exaggerated age than an age. I don't mind saying my age. I'm fi- how old am I? 53. What do you mean how old am I? <laughs> you're, you're better off sticking for 67 and saying how old am I? <laughs> don't get wandering off. Anyway, I'd very much um, recommend... Uh, Back to the Future, the mm. musical. Mm. Yeah, we rocked, and uh, my 11 year old liked it as well. I'm going to say loved it. Mm. Mm. But it's, uh, it's a great plot. I was talking the other day about the best plots ever. Uh, I bet you can't guess what I chose. Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner. on Absolute Radio. So here's the thing we were. Beautifully looked after at the um, at the theatre, and Boz got ice cream, and Boz has got a bit of an issue with cutlery of a certain nature. Oh, oh. I think I might share this issue. Yeah, Boz, um, the wooden spoon. He, he just he won't take he, he won't have wood against his teeth, so Buzz. he won't even have an ice cream that's got a stick on it. Buzz, you're a, you're a man after my own cringing heart. It. Is it a splinter fear? No, it's just the texture is just nightmarish. When I when I eat a Magnum ice cream, I wrap the wrapper around the hilt yeah. of the ice cream. So you can't even touch that it with must, your that hands. Must look if not I at all must. weird. <laughs> if I if I must, <laughs> if it's requested by the sovereign or whatever sure I'll do it but I don't like it and well, the idea of putting it in accidentally scraping it against I a tooth you see I, I, because I'm a big uh, toothpick user I like toothpicks what that don't make no sense <laughs> <laughs> it's something about the flat kind of wood grain oh, roughness no, it, no, it. No, it's flat is it surface what area is that the problem <laughs> yes we were just <laughs> what about when, what about a takeaway chopstick of the cheap variety Mm, it depends how cheap. Yeah, they can they can be a problem. Because <laughs> sometimes they they feel slightly plasticated, and then they're not mm. so bad. I'm Big guessing. fan of the plasticated takeaway chopstick. Oh yes, and we all, of all their albums. No, we were talking about um, surface area <laughs> earlier. That's the sort of thing me and Pierre sit talking about. <laughs> yeah, and Pierre said to me. Uh, of cheese, and I'm going to hand it over now. Yeah, set of cheese. I'm going to say this: the topic area is cheese surface area. Pierre, <laughs> what I have been told, and in my own experiments, agree with, is that grated cheese is much nicer than just a slice or a chunk of cheese because there's so much more surface area. You get all the flavour. Oh, it all hits your tongue at once. A little sprinkle of grated cheese in the mouth from the little really? packet. Yeah. Oh, also the texture. Yeah. For me, it's, oh, Frank, it's so soft. It's like candy floss. <laughs> when mm. you first grate it, and I do, into a bowl, just so I can enjoy the sensation of picking it up. I, yeah. don't, I don't like the uh, the grating process, though. You find it great? Do you just, know? I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I live for moments like that. And they don't need to come from me. I'm just happy that they're in the ether. They're here, they're with us. I bought, when I'm not living with my partner, i.e. when I was in oh, Edinburgh. Dear. No, when I, was, when I was in Edinburgh living on my own, I, I buy sliced cheese. Oh, you don't. I do. You're better than that. Um, but that's what, if I'm always aware, I do it slightly furtively. I always feel judged <laughs> by other shoppers when I, how idle do you have to be to buy that? That kind of feeling. That is fun though, to take a, a, one of the pre-sliced cheese slices and sort of thwap it upon your tongue. I've never like a cloak. Well, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do like that. Like Walter Raleigh, <laughs> just to get you across his tongue, <laughs> Your Majesty. On Absolute Radio. Um, I want to tell you a story. Oh. I um, <laughs> Max Pygrave's impression. <laughs> as 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 I've been as my child's here today, I'm going to do some, some more um, boss themed. <laughs> Story. So this week, um, Bozzy's friend Jude had got um, a birthday outing, right, to the cinema. So you know this sort of thing. The mom of the birthday child takes a bunch of kids and they go and see 
what would it be? Not the Lion King, but whatever the modern equivalent is. What's that one when you can see through all the characters that's around now? Oh, you're oh, right. yeah. Like the Smokeables or something like that. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> the Vaporites. The elements. The elements. The elements. Yeah. Sorry, I got prompted by my 11 year old. Just what you need for those moments. So, in, so he went um, to the cinema with his friends. I'll be honest, and this is the kind of bad parent I am. I never checked what the film was, but um, oh. but oh, the, the mom, the mom who's in charge, said it's an Agatha Christie, and uh, her son loves a loves a whodunit. So I thought, well, that'll be all right. Um, and then um, I got a message from Victoria Corrin Mitchell, who said, I'm at the cinema um, to see a horror film and your son is sitting behind me. And I thought, uh-oh. And she said, it, obviously, it can't be that as frightened as I thought. And I thought, uh-oh, I didn't check what this was at all. So then I looked it up, and it's called um, A Haunting in Venice. And I thought, oh, (laughs) So anyway, I... um, That's alarming, isn't it? It is alarming, because... You don't want to see a haunting when you send your child off to the cinema. No, no. So I should have checked this before, obviously... So um, they were what that we got the well, message. Venice saying, is reassuring, Frank. Venice is. Have you seen Don't Look Now? I mean, oh, Venice yeah. is a creepy place if you want it to be. I mean, just the courting couples. Yeah, that are menacing enough. Did you see? You have to get a ticket now to get to Venice. Yeah. Anyway, different story. So um, we got a message from um, the mom in charge, and she says, um, "It was a very good friend of ours." She says. Well, she was before she took my child to a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a haunting in Venice, yeah, specifically. So she said, we're on our way back. So we, uh, Kat said, let's meet them on the way. We saw them coming down the street. <laughs> and the kids, there was no gaps between the kids. <laughs> they were so <laughs> terrified. They were clumped together as they walked. Sheet white. I mean, all of them. We said what it was like. They were all going, oh, my God, it was terrifying. And um, apparently all of them slept with their parents that night. It was so... But when we got back, this was... uh, So it's a 12A. Is it? Which you think would be okay. From the trailers, I'm surprised. Um, Well, when we got back, Boz made us watch a trailer. Yeah. What was it Um, like? Was it terrifying? Well, I don't know if you know the film. It features Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. With them, I mean, obviously, when you think Poirot, you think moustache. Yeah. yeah. But, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you after this. Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio. Buzz was returning from a haunting in Venice, is it called? Yes. Which and sounds absolutely terrifying. Well, when we got back, in order to prove that he wasn't just being a Nelly Bing Bong... He, uh, he made us watch... I don't know what that is, but it's in my life now. I'm yeah. not letting that go. Yeah. He made us watch... Um, somebody something said it to me once. Someone said, oh, God, he's a bit of a Nelly Bing Bong. <laughs> and it stopped. That's probably been 40 years ago, and it stopped with me. Yeah. But anyway, so he showed us the trailer, and I saw the trailer, and I said, well, I, w- I wouldn't have gone to see this film myself. <laughs> um, the, but... I was mentioning Hercule Poirot's um, moustache. Now I have, um, I am, I am, I have a sort of a uh, very indirect link with Hercule's moustache because I used to share a, a makeup artist with uh, David Suchet. Oh. That's a strange thing to boast about. Yeah, and when <laughs> when he when they did the last Poirot, he got. Um, a very large version of his moustache woven for her as a sort of, a, like a pair of bullhorns to have on her wall. Like a sort of insane uh, uh, sculpture. Yeah. Why does she want 
to be reminded of that. I think, but I think the fact she was like, you know, the moustache queen. She she oh. she administered the moustache pre-records and moustache queen. Because yeah, uh, Suchet's moustache. That's look... a club, I think. Moustache <laughs> 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 queen is. Uh, it's not far from where we're suddenly yeah, we're bo- broadcasting now. All, I think. <laughs> They're just leaving it as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> but but then, fair play. I mean, Suchet's moustache looked like a plastic sculpture stuck on his lip. What? You can't say that about my makeup artist. No. Artistry. That's what I'm saying. It's so impressive. Wasn't Suchet the one who he ref- he always spoke in the... Uh, the little fake Belgian voice. Yeah, he always spoke like that off, off camera. He was very it. method, wasn't that, he? That's what I've heard. Yes, we've heard. I do hope it's so true. He didn't, I think he just didn't want to lose his <laughs> accent. It was the same as Daniel Lewis. It was a sort of mad, like Peter Sellers yeah. sort of thing to maintain between takes. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis would have obviously taken on French citizenship and Belgian. Oh, sorry, everyone. Sorry. We're going to get all the Flemish people texting in now. Oh, it won't take long to read those. (laughs) So, anyway, um, Kenny, if you look, so Branner came on and I thought this is a whole new layer because Branner looks (laughs) like he thought during the break after he got the job, he thought, I'll grow a (laughs) moustache. So he looks like he's grown a, a big moustache. And then when he's got there, the makeup um, person has said, oh, we already got you a moustache. And he said, well, it's a shame to waste it. I'll, I'll wear that on the top. <laughs> oh, no. And that's what it looks like. Oh. Although, or maybe they got two makeup moustaches and he just couldn't decide. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous construct I've ever seen. Of a moustache. Was it like a sort of, uh, this mystery will require two moustaches? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so <laughs> s- scary and exactly. difficult. I will have so much twirling to do. <laughs> this one will disintegrate. <laughs> he still feels too young. It's a bit like, you know, when people say the bus drivers are getting younger or the postman and I or the policeman. I think, no. The, the, the day, The day when Ke- <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, yeah, the day when Kenneth Branagh is your age, is around your vintage and he's Poirot. <laughs> Just a French version of the or Belgian version of the police <laughs> yeah. looking much younger. The Poirots are so much younger as he says. Um, you've got to check out the the moustache. I mean, make your mind up. Okay, Kenneth. <laughs> I'm just Ken. Frank Skinner. Absolute Radio. Woof you. Yeah, that was uh, George. You all right, George? George, yes. Yeah, so you say George, you say, oh, nice to meet you. Hello, hello, how are you? I've been to the cafe for a coffee. Yeah. Oh, all right. Oh, I thought that was just for the songs. No, no, I'm all right, like this all time. George. Wow, what a discovery. Um, I know that's how you speak, but this is a eulogy. Um, so... <laughs> I'd really appreciate it if you could give it some gravitas, please. Or just <laughs> hands over eyes. <laughs> God rest his soul. God rest his soul. Um, so, yeah, so don't die if you're a mate of George Ezra. That's my advice. So, yes, by the way, I need to defend my... I need to defend my friend who took these... Uh, these poor children to a horror film <laughs> is that it was a 12A and the 12A mm. says um, under 12s yeah. is fine if you're with an adult. If you're accompanied. And that was wrong about and apart from the moustache which would have terrified a Vietnam vet um, there was a bit, they do that bit we've seen this in horror films before but 11 year olds probably haven't you know that thing when you look in the mirror and a, a terrible corpse person is standing behind you in the mirror. They had yeah. one of those moments. Happens to me every morning here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish mine would get behind me and stop standing in front of me. <laughs> oh, man. But that was a terrifying, terrifying moment. So, um... I recommend to anyone to who doesn't quite 
Who thinks they can't picture the mustache to look it up? I, I gave it a look during the song. No, what, the Ken, the I'm, I'm not just, exaggerating. Just People Ken will think, stuff. oh, he's exaggerating. Well, it's I, a comic effect. No, it looks like two eagles mating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two, I love that Fred, Frederick Forsyth novel. <laughs> <laughs> two eagles mating. You see, my favourite Poirot was uh, Peter. Peter Ustinov. Oh, yes. Oh, oh no, it's, it's got to be Suchet for me. Really? Yeah, I like that sort of prissiness and uh, the ego thing going on. Anyway, um, apparently, um, Kenneth Branagh has decided, this is the third in a trilogy of taking Agatha Christie's stories and making them much more terrifying. Mm. Again, something I could have read before. (laughs) It's set, after all, in an abandoned orphanage. Oh, sure. Which was abandoned (laughs) because they got the Black Death, so they just left the children in there. That was Ah. right. Yeah, I mean, you don't want that. I mean, Trev in Canvey Island, morning Trev, Yeah. late review, Frank... It's the third movie he's had that moustache in. I mean, yeah. that's a bit harsh. Well, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen the first two, and I also, I, I think that one landed on the second one. I think originally. <laughs> now that might be, yeah. Well, I didn't see the first two. If I'd seen the first two, I wouldn't let my child see the third. Ofs. No. Maybe the moustache wax he used on the first one was a sort of pheromone that attracted other moustaches. Oh, yeah. Oh, they've all mating. come to the party now. Yeah. Well, look, I... Like a um, moth trap. Yeah. I, I can say I, I wouldn't have gone. I once went to see a film called Day of the Dead. I don't know if mm. I've told this before. And it, was, it was the sequel to... Dawn of the Dead. One of those. Yeah. It was a lot of zombies. Um, well, I won't tell you what they were doing, but basically pulling people apart. And eating them, mm. I have told you what they do, <laughs> and and uh, everyone's terrified behind an enclosure, <laughs> and there's living dead trying to get in and eat them. That's the gist of it. Yes. And I went um, to the toilet during the film, mm. merely. Well, to, it was scary, you know. But up to pass water. <laughs> I was still, I was still in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I went into the cinema before I urinated. I kicked open every cubicle door <laughs> to make sure there wasn't a flesh-eating zombie in there. <laughs> now I know that sounds ludicrous, but here's the truth of it: <clears throat> you have to wonder a bit about people who like horror films. That's all I'm saying. There's a question mark. Why do you think that? Well, if you like horror films, maybe you like people suffering and violence. (laughs) Absolute radio. (laughs) Is it... um, Is it... Too dark for breakfast! (laughs) Too dark for breakfast! This is Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner. This is Absolute Radio. This is Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio with Emily Dean and Pierre Novelli. You can text us on 81215, follow us on X and Instagram at Frank on the Radio. Email via frank at absoluteradio.co.uk. Now, Frank, regarding your terrible slandering of horror fans. Oh, yes. Uh, Simon of Sudbury, one of our... Regular readers gets in touch and says, Hi, Frank, Emily and Pierre. I remember as a three-year-old peering from behind the settee as William Hartnell fought the Daleks. So began my love of the horror genre. Absolutely. Oh, come on. Come on. Well. The thing about Doctor Who, which is particularly marvellous, and there's been, like... The odd slip when William Hartnell in the very first story um, was about to kill a caveman with a <laughs> rock, but it didn't happen, is that the Doctor is a pacifist essentially. And in an age when it's all like pictures of men with um, big rifles on action uh, hero movies, the Doctor with his um, whatever it is, Dicky Bow or his velvet jacket using science, I think is why Doctor Who has um, mainly survived amongst the intelligentsia. 
Also, it's than, got uh, that slightly adorable. The thonks. Forgive, do forgive me, Frank, but it's got that slightly adorable element of school play. <laughs> which... Well, maybe classic who has got a bit of that, but it's it's about, it's the chat. It's where the yeah that that specky clever science kid in the class gets to be all the big guys. Not that I was ever the science kid, but you know, I'd rather he won than the. The sports guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, Simon also says, absolutely agree with Buzz about the ice cream tub spoons nightmare. It's well, the, 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 there was this guy, uh, Amanda, who worked at uh, the Adelphi, and he actually went off and got Boz a metal spoon. So, because B, he noticed, he was a bit surprised that Boz had folded the lid of the ice cream in the middle and was mm. scooping it out with Smart. that. And he said, There is like a wooden spoon in there. And Boz said, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he'd said, There's a spider in there. I, <laughs> I, have, I have bought to combat the fact that uh, with life on the road I know you know you, you try and eat healthily but all the healthy food comes with wooden cutlery yeah. I've bought a sort of all in one spork thing oh a spork I've got a, I've actually of... got an 11th doctor spork <laughs> which is based <laughs> on his uh, sonic screwdriver ah. but that of course the spork um, is the the self same runcible spork um, spoon, as mentioned in the Owl and the Pussy. Is it? Yeah. The runcible spoon is a, a spork. A runcible spoon is a, is the same um, Why thing. did they have to rebrand it? Runcible spork too complicated. is more modern, yeah. Runcible. Can't they just keep with the old you, things? You can't, you can't sell an American a runcible spoon. No. You watch me try. Just in the modern world, <laughs> people say, oh, let's get a sport. They're not going to say, let's get a runcible spoon. Let's have to go for the portmanteau. Mm. Stick with the old way sometimes. Uh, and I'm a man who owns a set of grape scissors <laughs> specifically Maybe for cutting the doctor about that cutting, yeah, well, no, he gave them uh, he said we're so busy at the moment we're so rushed off our feet the NHS you're going to have to do this yourself mate <laughs> <laughs> They've got grapes, uh, ornate grapes, all over the handles and stuff. Oh, I don't want to know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was when the NHS had money when they were made. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get them right. from the pharmacy. We've received uh, a lovely missive regarding your poetry podcast. Wee. Not, not the reaction I anticipated, but go. nevertheless. Let's, let's see, we'll see what we got here. <laughs> this is from Peter Wolfson, my last duchess. Actually, I've got to stop here. <laughs> this is the last thing I want poetry associated yeah, with. It is really this? Is. this is for people trying to win talent shows on telly without <laughs> talent, but with tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Ah, Britain's got tragedy. I like um, to think that. Um, this is a bit more um, what the uh, what the poetry uh, show is like. <laughs> Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Yeah. Uh, so Peter Wolfson, we don't normally do praise, but I I like to make an exception for the poetry podcast. Well, it's yeah, it's such an obscure activity of mine. I think it can take a bit of praise. Also, it's fabulous. Come on, and Peter says. Uh, your poetry podcast is wonderful. Thank you so Oy. much. Your analysis, explanations and sheer enthusiasm mm. are so inspiring. You've... My you've arms got... are raised. <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad Ali style. And then a fabulously middle-class sign-off, which I love. I'm going to call it the Waitrose of sign-offs. Incidentally, I will purchase Jean Spracklin's Green Noise. Thank oh. you once again, Peter Wolfson. Good, I'm glad you will. That's a fabulous poetry collection. All poetry alive again to Peter. I actually, there was a bunch of youths got on the bus last night. Mm. And, you know, I did that thing you do, you stereotype youths as youths. And one of them got off through the, you know, the back door of the bus, got off on, on that and shouted, Thank you, driver! Which is something I haven't heard for years mm. that old people used to say, but still the old politeness. So, you know, don't judge. Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio. Thank uh, 
I uh, spoke this <laughs> morning. McDonald's. I spoke this morning with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like him. I'll be honest. What if he'd said that? <laughs> I didn't care for him. I found him brusque. <laughs> He didn't have a Branham moustache. No, but he no. didn't have he, he didn't have the one moustache. He just put the glue. He, he only put the Velcro on and then forgot the main <laughs> moustache. Hitler. Also, one of Hitler. One of the funnier choices made in his life by Robert Mugabe, just to go. You know what? I'll bring it back. It's got no <laughs> yeah. negative associations as far as I'm aware. Why do they like a moustache? The dicta- dictators, Frank. I don't know the answer. They don't all go for it, do they? Good, oh, they good do. visual branding. Do you think that's what it is? I think that's part of it. Okay. Any dictators, it. don't text I in. think dictators probably like people to go to fancy dress parties as them. So yes. they go for a very distinctive look. Yes, they always go for a sort of easily cosplayable look. Don't know the dictators. I'm not saying that's why they become the dictators. Colonel Gaddafi used to have a big shirt with Africa on it. <laughs> Yes, big green Africa. Bit, yeah. You love say, that. Say what you see, Colonel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was he, was he worried about getting lost? <laughs> trans- yeah, he travelled. He liked to fly a completely comatose. That was his sort of label. He was like... Um, Paddington Bear with that label. <laughs> it should have been like a, a, a nurse's watch, an upside-down Africa, yeah. so you could look and go, ah, oh, yes. Well, I'll tell you what I saw the other day, a watch being worn. Um, do you remember this, where the, the, the actual buckle would be on the top of the hand and they'd have the... Oh, yeah. The, the watch face was underneath the oh. hand and they'd look at it I think it was p- blokes in factories because they thought it was less chance of it getting broken yeah you're getting scratched yeah. I saw one the other day and I thought oh people still wear their watch sort of upside down as it were I, I was thinking the other day that it's a thing Don't now that, exaggerate oh please <laughs> the watches are sort of almost jewellery now because you have a clock on your phone mm. yeah. so it's a choice to wear a watch where you go I'm going to wear a watch and, and have and a dub- double it. watch yeah, I don't. I'm, I I always worry about people that are very very obsessed by watches. You know, they, they turn it into a sort of they treat it like it's art mm. or something. Yeah, well, they, I don't. I think it's not as worrying as horror films. <laughs> <laughs> they're not saying. They're not saying film. I love to see people frightened or tortured or eaten. What if you were at a horror film and you turned and you saw a a, a, a man so bored by the violence he was checking his enormous elaborate watch every now and then? <laughs> I don't terrified. mind the watch. I mean, I have no interest in watches, but I don't mind other people um, risking. Um, Attack. Oh, it is a certain type. <laughs> no, but the the watch the watch watch obsessive is in the same vendor. It is in the same area as the cigar smoker of the year. Come on, yes, definitely. Come on, Frank. Yes, I, I I had a good watch once, which was bought at the end of a TV series. The sort of serious gift was a good watch. Mm. When I say a good watch, I sort of name. I was told it was a name watch. Mm. And it was quite a fat, impressive-looking watch. It's the r- most rubbish timekeeping watch <laughs> I have. And it mended about four times and gave up in the yeah. end. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I actually got a chance, by the way. B- Bob Monkhouse gave me a, d- a watch. And, of course, I immediately went to have it valued. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy said, uh, we can, um, we can uh, clean it for you. Um, he said, but we, we put the, and we'll put the face on properly. He said, if you pay a bit extra, we'll put it, we'll seal the whole thing and you'll be able to swim in it. And I actually got the chance to say, well, that's weird because I couldn't swim before. <laughs> and um, as you can imagine, in a, quite a nice jewellers, it got nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing from the guy. This is nice from the Cricklewood Coffee Roasters. I thought it was a van, but I think they might actually be uh, coffee purveyors. Mm. And uh, agreeing with you about what a great show Back to the Future the musical is. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Coco Anglais are fantastic as the doc. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, I got a feeling he was. Um... He was someone who was using the lines but wasn't constricted by them, if you know what I mean. Oh, I like those people. So he'd, he'd overspill into, into natural talk sometimes, which made it more real. Ah. That was my opinion. We've had uh, our readers getting in touch about 
previous things we've discussed on this didn't show. Didn't someone say, by the way, didn't someone do a calculation about... We did. Um, we had someone getting in touch regarding uh, Back to the Future. And This is mind-blowing, I think. It is slightly frightening. Because in the, in the, in the musical and in the film, I think he goes from 1985 and he goes back to 1955. Mm. And 864 What's... has been in touch to say, if the film was made now, Marty McFly would be travelling back to 1993. <laughs> That's Paul in Preston. That is mad. That is mad. Because then you don't think, well, there's nothing different then. Everything was exactly the same in 1993, which, of course, it wasn't. The, the, the musical difference would be that he'd be going back and trying to, like, f- pretend an affection for his parents' love of grunge. Yeah. And, yes. and Nirvana. Exactly. And, and to... uh, D-Ream, things can only get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd have to introduce them to, like, dubstep or something. Over. More importantly... Well, listen to this. What, more importantly, what, what, what? I'd, I'd be massive. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, it'd be great for you. It would, yeah. I could play me in 1993, and then yeah, he could yeah. find me sort of broken down at the end of a bar <laughs> into, into 2023. <laughs> God. <laughs> Who would be a bit... Well, Biff would just be... Donald Trump in some form. We should say of Biff, Biff is the school bully. Mm. And um, I saw a bloke in the theatre who looked, and I heard him talking to a friend who, who seemed to be um, a, a, a very uh, macho type. Um, you said, you said he was Biff-esque. Yeah. Well, this was a, a punter, wasn't and it? I no- yeah, and I noticed punter. he was laughing at Biff, and I thought, no, you're Biff. You're one of the Biffettes. <laughs> you should be pro-Biff. But Boz loved Biff. What, he, um, Biff the character? Biff, or... the, the guy who played Biff in it mm. was very a very believable uh, Biff. Mm. Did he have that sort of slightly unsettlingly closely gelled kind of blonde quiff? Yeah, I mean, it was a wig. Oh, right. But he had... Um, he was he was big. He was one of those blokes who, who just was big mm. in context with everyone else <laughs> in the thing. He looked like he could, you know, he could terrorise a, a class. Did he sing I a sort of bu- bullying song? <laughs> um, I love to push the nerds, like some whole number he did, of he did how sing good a bullying song. is. I'll have a look. We have the souvenir programme with us, so I'll check it. Yes, it's a great defence of bullying, he sang. <laughs> And in in uh, falsetto as well, which is strange. Yeah. An elaborate, heartfelt I love to push the nerd. Just a beautiful falsetto <laughs> from the Sonora. Yes. Yeah. Now they they fell short of the uh, justification for this. <laughs> Last week, we were talking about uh, characters not seen on screen, so referred to on screen, but never seen. Yes. Um, I think we referred to um, her indoors was was one of Mm -hmm. the ones. Maris from Frasier. Yes. Well, that was your one. Yes. I didn't know that. We didn't really know that, but we let it go. Um, She Who Must Be Obeyed. From uh, Rompole of the Bailey. Although we were widely disagreed with on that. Well, well we she was seen doing washing up and, and chatting to him a few times. Oh, okay. Well, I missed that episode. Me lad. Well, <laughs> well, we've also had through um, some other examples. Graham Hill has been in touch. Dirty Gertie from Number Thirty. Right. Um, Which was Basil Brush? Is that right? Yes. I got mixed up. I thought is Larry Grace and Larry Grace and Ad used to refer to Slack Alice. <laughs> who was uh, a woman <laughs> and his friend Everard if you remember did he have a friend? well yes oh. that's what we called them in the 70s <laughs> uh, and that was Everard yes I love the idea of a spe- they used to call it or well, my aunt uh, who's I think Twee would be a good way to describe her oh. and I remember her saying to my sister once when she was dating and, and at the age where my aunt felt uncomfortable, I didn't know how to refer to their relationship. They were living together, and she said, "Is Ziggy still your best friend?" Ah, best friend. Ah, best friend. I um, I moved in with a woman, and my parents, being good Catholics, never acknowledged that it was happening at all. <laughs> refused to um, even refer to it. <laughs> and then she said to me um, one day that 
my dad took it to one side and said, uh, never let him leave the house without a clean <laughs> handkerchief. <laughs> and then that was when it was first acknowledged. <laughs> By <a> handkerchief. <laughs> A sort of semaphore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, in terms of other not on screen but referred to, Dermot has got in touch. Kath and Buzz. Unseen, oh. but oh. very, very important characters in the show. Well, that is a good well, point. Well. That okay. is a very good point. Mm. Uh, and, and also, um, Emil just came in, yes. who, was, who did the show previous to us and he said now we're going to remember the name of this someone from Chocolvision Dan the Van Dan the Van Dan the Van mm. from Chocolvision yeah Dutch yeah. Dutch character <laughs> Dan the Van <laughs> Dan the Van yeah. um Yes, which I, I didn't. I don't know if I ever saw Chocolvision, but I had a very good friend who used to write for Chocolvision. Mm. Some of my best friends did as well. Well, you wouldn't... Have, she was, you know, sort of very cool, slightly goth type. Hey, what is it, Chocolvision? You know, the Choco Brothers. It was their oh, show. Is that the, I never to me, knew to you. That. What yeah. is Choco? Who is Gaza? I don't... Oh, come on, that's hardly the same thing. <laughs> I think Chocolvision is part of British culture. Is it? I'm very aware of Chocolvision. Was it on ITV? Oh, OK. No-one knows what it was on. What about when he was on... BBC. What was he on? Fans Only or whatever that thing is called. <laughs> Cameo. Only Fans. Only he fans. wasn't on a... The Chuckle Brothers aren't on Only Fans. <laughs> no. <laughs> he was on one of those. <laughs> Frank, they haven't got an only fan. To me, to you, <laughs> £5 a month. Yeah. If you want to find out more yeah. from me to you, yeah, and I will be sending it directly from me to you, yeah. don't worry about yeah. that. Oh, I've dropped a big chandelier. Yeah. <laughs> I've got stuff in a ladder. Yes, but no. <laughs> Chlamydia from me to oh you. You to me. No! No! I think they changed their surname slightly as well. <laughs> Frank Skinner. By the way, my son held up a message during our talk about off screen uh, characters. He held in his hand a piece of paper. He did. And. Um, and he said, um, it says Paul McCartney in Moppet's Mayhem. And apparently he was an unseen character, much referred to, uh, but never appears. And two two five. What time does Paul turn up? It was like that. Uh, two two five. That was uh, George Ezra. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Asking about his driver. Two two five has got in touch. You never saw Dr. Claw in Inspector Gadget. Although you did see his arm and his cat. Did yeah. you watch him? You seem a you Can strike you say me. you'd never saw him, but you did see his arm? Is that... Is there a logic think, issue in that? I, I, don't, mm. I think it's, he's still unseen. We couldn't, we couldn't pick him out of a lineup, which must have been An arm Dr. Line Claw's plan all along. I did watch Inspector Gadget. I did see that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't, but I remember it existing. He had a kind of... I'm sure I'll be very thrilled to hear that. Well, I was at the wrong age for um yeah, for Wouldn't Gadget. we be the wrong age? I think he had a very famous voice actor doing his voice. Really? I think so. I'm enjoying the idea of referring to him as Gadget. Yeah. The thing was so Gadget. giving him some gravitas he perhaps doesn't quite deserve. No, I was, I was at public school with him. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you school Gadget? He was um, Gadget Minor. I knew his uh, brother, Gadget Major. Who, uh... Are you from the Hampshire Gadgets? That gadget uh, Major is the sort of name a US senator would have. Yeah, Gadget... He's got such mad names. Gadget Major invented the Scion Organiser. <laughs> <laughs> now listen, David... And the Blackberry. <laughs> Whatever happened to... Du, 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 the Blackberry. Remember there was a big battle like Blur and Oasis with the iPhone yes. oh, and the yeah. Blackberry. I'm a, they Who were won, very... would you say? <laughs> <laughs> David Tucker from Caffili has been in touch okay. regarding Dracula. Mm -hmm. Hi, Frank. Just messaging to say your uh, Dracula version of Unforgettable has been on a loop in my head for about four days now. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. I've even added 
That's why, darling, it's spectacular <laughs> as a next line. Oh, and then we know what's coming. Would you, would you be so kind as to give us a brief burst, Frank? Well, well the headline was Vegan Dracula. Yeah, vegan so Dracula. I, was, I said that immediately <laughs> made me think, partly because of the sea sounds or something, but... Vegan Dracula, <laughs> that's what you are. <laughs> I was um, banned by my partner from singing that. Oh, were you? Yeah, after about half a day of... Uh... <laughs> so it did catch on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was walking and around my, my flat. my darling, it's spectacular. <laughs> you remain a vegan Dracula. <laughs> I can think of another rhyme, but not for breakfast. Mm. Mm. Oh, no. Maybe you could pass that spatula now. <laughs> But that not wooden. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not the wooden spatula. No. Not for my child, Orum, no. Orum, Pierre. No. No. I will need to get to the bottom of the... When I, sometimes I'll have a lollipop with a wooden stick and I'll just chew the wooden stick after for pleasure. Oh, the sort and of rolled paper tube stick. We're all so different, aren't we? <laughs> It's not October yet, but there's been some quite Halloween-y stories around. I don't know if you saw about the, the Mexican aliens. No. Oh. The, the Mexicalians. The Mexicalians. Mexican. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, the, the, Uf, they, the they, UFO community. They've had a big week. Bless the them. UFOC. Mm. Well, I Do met you like a, UFO people, Frank? I, um, I, interviewed, um, I interviewed some uh, alien abductees. Once I thought that would be an interesting thing to How do. Was it wasn't. It? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I noticed about aliens? They've always got very skinny legs. Yeah. Like, what, is there no well, one with any curves in those, the alien community? They've got those little hover cars. <laughs> yes. So they never really build up the, the calves. They, they skip leg day. Yeah. They've got so. very thin legs, haven't they? Anyway. Well, we should say that they found. They're actually... Have um, they? They found some <laughs> dead aliens. Um, Down we, a sort we, of mine. We got, yeah, in a mine. Um, Alien corpses. Well, they're sort of... Um, that wasn't I, me insulting you two. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose you'd call them um, fossils, because they're yeah. old aliens. Yes. Yeah. Um, I must admit, you don't get many um, alien fossils. No. And these guys, they're two feet tall which is a, a big plus if you're in the mining business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a very six weeks to low MG diet. <laughs> yes. They're uh, very fashion week. There's yes. not a lot of flesh on there's, the table. They're slim. Yeah. And um, one of them contains eggs. Alle al oh, allegedly. That's, nice. that's gross. No, alien eggs. They've x like aliens, let alone alien eggs. No, but what's interesting is they looked... You know, there's that very specific rough-cast <laughs> grey cardboard that you only get on egg boxes. <laughs> they look... Yes. Could they possibly be novelty egg boxes? <laughs> Friend, sort of one of them's been emptied and the other one's still got the eggs in it. You're saying that what we're missing here is the real story that the Aztecs had novelty egg boxes hundreds of years before exactly. anyone in the West. And they used that same egg box cardboard, which you never see on anything else except a teenage boy's wall when he's trying to soundproof it for band practices yeah. with egg boxes. Yeah. You know what I mean, though? Yes, yeah. You do get, like, neater um, ones sometimes, but the, the traditional... Egg box cardboard is a real rough. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. rough grey thing, and that's what they look like. These guys. It's just only a slightly more benign version of sandpaper, really. Well, it's um, it looks like we've thought. Well, well, you know, it's not worth making anything nice for the eggs. Mm. It's yeah. very practical, so we'll use that really cheap cardboard. It's like Dolls House concrete or something. Yeah, that's what recycled. It like. Yes. Do you yes. think the aliens? Because well, the producer keeps laughing at the mention of the aliens for some reason. <laughs> because they look also those aliens, Frank. Mm. Do they have? Do they do sort of cosmetic surgery? Aliens. They look quite tweakmented. Do you think they've oh, had yeah. work? Very cheap work. Alien <laughs> fossils have had work. I think they might have had an upper brow lift, one of the aliens. Really? Yes, I could tell. And there was just the they, they do maybe... resemble some of the real housewives. Yeah. 
I'm just saying. Maybe They've a little got... bit of filler. They've got aliens. Calm down on the filler. I'd say the distinct thing about them is their head shape. Yes. You remember I said to you, I have trouble at the opticians because my head is deep. <laughs> yes. It goes back a long way. These guys, where they're getting their stems from, <laughs> I don't know. Because their heads just keep going. It's like they're looking out of a microwave at you. You yeah. said, <laughs> I like that. You said that like a sort of a, a 50s guy describing a, a, a hot dame. Oh, that head just keeps going. <laughs> head for days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should uh, re-record that bit. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't like it used as a trailer. Oh, Frank, for heaven's sake. Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio. So these aliens, we're talking about the the newly discovered alien corpses who yes. I suspect um, have dabbled with some tweakments. But how do you so what how do you explain the long heads? Do you think they were fossilized whilst I think they're mods? <laughs> they're in snorkel parkers and it's all just become rock. <laughs> what I want to know is they were why they were buried. Like didn't this they were discovered apparently a thousand years ago. They're, they date from, I apologise, from a thousand years ago, these fossils. But they were in a mine, so that's probably why they oh, were buried. Oh I see. Yeah. Okay, um, fair enough. They were mining. Yeah. With the mining aliens. I didn't know they had jobs, the aliens. I'm well, them according sort of... to Eric von Daniken, who uh, wrote uh, Chariot of the Gods, which is a book that everyone used to read at school. Oh, did they? Um, yeah, that was one of our non-fiction books. Along was that like with, um, Fire from Heaven. Well, that was fiction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fire from Heaven was spontaneous human combustion when people just uh. burst into flames. But Eric von Daniken had um, hard evidence that things like Stonehenge had been uh, done by aliens. Yeah. Okay. So they did do it. They, they were in the construction business, so I don't see why they couldn't have gone <laughs> into mining. They're very blue-collar aliens, they? are. It's <laughs> always big construction project, mining. There's a sort of Billy That's Elliot what aspect. Like, to... I thought they were... Yeah. Met... Yes. <laughs> what happened to the alien that wanted to dance? <laughs> and also, Pierre, you'd have seen... <laughs> you'd seen... <laughs> also, you'd think that aliens wouldn't be cut out for things like erecting Stonehenge when they're tiny. Tiny legs. Tiny what? legs. Oh, they know. don't have much. No, but I think they you because they got these massive head brains <laughs> with the long the long brain. Yeah, they probably used the the poor caveman. Yeah, yes, um, whoever it was. Or, or I think that Eric said they also built the pyramids. Mm. So they would take yeah, the they uh, claim to everything the, without the hard evidence. Well, he had some uh, he had some good aerial photograph. His argument was you couldn't <laughs> plan something like Stonehenge if you couldn't look down on it from about you know a thousand feet. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which um, it always fascinates me that. Uh, when you think of the past and how different it was, one thing you never think of is people saw virtually everything from no higher than a couple of floors on. Yeah. That was as high as they ever went. But it's like it's like saying well, you couldn't plan Buckingham Palace without looking at it from a thousand feet. You go, well, they did. Of course they did. They just mm. drew it. He's not wrong, it. Frank. Are you <laughs> suggesting that Eric von Daniken is offering some erroneous arguments in his book about aliens building the pyramids? I'll tell you Eric does... von Daniken, can I say, um, was one of those blokes who dressed all in leather and had a monocle and used to carry a riding crop and all. I mean, he oh absolutely God. bought into that German stereotype. Oh, right. Oh, a sort of Prussian God. lunatic. Yeah, like he'd had dueling scars from, you know, from military oh, wow. colleges. I don't, I don't know where he... He was a very odd man. The aliens are blue-collar, <laughs> working class, <laughs> but they cannot do the labour themselves. <laughs> That kind of thing. That was Eric. He was quite pro-alien, to be fair. It wasn't <laughs> true of all German Germans. No. Oh, God. I was going to say, could you imagine Donald Trump's reaction to hearing this a whole new type of Mexican alien for him to yeah. worry about? Terrible, yeah. terrible people. Could Damn. they build a wall? They found, found in a mine. <laughs> long heads. Very, longest heads. Very long. Very long Very heads. long heads. Very, very terrible People are people. saying the longest heads. <laughs> Frank Skinner. 
So we're, okay. we're still discussing the aliens, Frank. Mm. By the way, we had a nice uh, message from Emile French, who is our fellow, our colleague, who was listening to us in McDonald's. He went straight from his show before us to McDonald's, which I love him for. Mm. And sent us a nice message that he was enjoying the show, so that was nice. Do you think he had a happier meal? <laughs> oh. I wonder what his go-to order is. He does, he's he's in such great shape. I'm surprised he went yeah. to a McDonald's. Is he one of those people who's got one of those metabolisms where mm. he can just eat McDonald's and then that won't last, of course. The lucky ones. No. Well, you'll hit forty and <laughs> explode. Exactly. Um, well, these aliens had fabulous metabolism. They, they've got they've got a thousand-year-old rib cages. Uh, yeah. I'm got, imagining them with a sort of... Their proportions are rather strange, I find. Well, they're yeah. two feet tall. They've got... Uh, their heads just keep going off into the um, the distance. Mm. From very dry skin. Very, very dry skin. Three fingers. Yeah. So they, they could still <laughs> potentially ten-pin bowl. <laughs> and measure whiskey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These two things are not beyond them. Um, but a man um, who has um, sort of revealed them to the world... Apparently was involved in a, in a hoax. Well, that's not a good sign. Well, he was debunked. Before. Yeah, he was debunked. I'm well, sure I'll tell you who has come out to slam the claims. Oh, go on. Is uh, the artist formerly known as D. Ream, Professor Brian Cox. Oh, really? Yeah. Has he done it in a, a, a sort of slightly high-pitched soft Yorkshire accent? No, he's done it with that slightly unsettling Jesus Army smile that he always has. <laughs> There's absolutely no way. These aliens he are says real. they are way too humanoid. He says they're way too humanoid. It's, and then he says... Do you mean way too humanoid? <laughs> you say that about everything, Brian. Is a humanoid even a thing? That sounds something like sort of that Plan is 9 Doctor from Outer Space. Yeah, it's a bit Gallifrey, isn't it? But what's it? accepted humanoid. in science fiction is that some aliens... You know, I've got nine eyes on the end of purple stalks, and some have just got like a, a, a they can't bend their little finger. It, it's you know, there's there's a whole range. Statistically, well, there must be. He continues. It's very unlikely that an intelligent species that inv- that evolved on another planet would ever look like us. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that is um, that sounds convincing until you actually think about it because mm. if you think that there's a unique set of conditions or well seemingly almost unique let's say benefit of the doubt to other aliens that have created life on this planet distance from the sun and you know etc then you'd feel that if that happened elsewhere to produce life, it's quite possible they could develop the same way as us. Yeah. yeah. But why aren't they wearing hard hats, Frank? <laughs> yeah. Why are you wearing... Oh, that's your hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a lovely man, but, you know, he's probably a bit threatened by this because his programmes are going to look pretty lame <laughs> if we going, find out there's aliens knocking about. Going on about the type of gas on something. Well, yeah, exactly, it. when you're going to talk about their little cars. <laughs> His programmes are going to be interrupted by citizens of Earth. Oh, yeah, exactly. Where will you be then, Coxie? No, it's going to be pretty lame, dark, all that stuff. <laughs> what about... Um, I'm interested in Professor Nick Pope. Oh. Have you that? heard about him? He's the, the goalkeeper. U- He's the U- No, not the Newcastle goalkeeper, <laughs> but a, a UK... Um, I think they're called ufologists... The oh. UFO people. Oh, they don't call them UFOs anymore, do they? They call them unidentified anomalous, anomalous <laughs> phenomenon. UAPs. Yeah. UAPs. Uh, yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, I'll tell you what Nick Pope said after <laughs> this. If Pierre doesn't look it up in the meantime, one of all these hands behind his back. Frank Skinner. Absolute Radio. Mm. I'd like to see um, a I'd remake like of Billy it. Elliot based around these aliens. How would that work? <laughs> well, you know, there's an alien who wants to dance. Oh, and... I don't want a dancing alien. Oh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Oh, I don't. You'll not be dancing. No alien son of mine. Will... <laughs> keep calling... yeah. Even though they're aliens, then they should not perceive themselves as such. They'll keep referring to each other as aliens. For the benefit of the viewer. <laughs> well... I, don't, I can't. What I don't get about aliens, perhaps, I mean, this is much more your area, Frank, than 
you know, let's face it, any of ours, but... Well, only no fictional ones. I'm not really interested. Oh, as opposed to the real ones. Yeah. Well, if there were real ones. Bonafide aliens. I just remember that moment from Independence Day when people get on top of the Empire State Building with big signs saying, welcome aliens, and they just completely blast them to pieces. (laughs) Well, that's the problem. Mm. I just find them a bit unpredictable. Yeah, that's true. We Mm. just, you never know what you're going to get with these types. And sometimes they're perceived as very sort of benign and friendly and yeah. we have much to teach you. And then you get the evil ones. Mm. How do you know which one you've got? I suppose you find out if they're the evil ones rather quickly. <laughs> but you get the peacemakers. <laughs> the peacemakers. Yes. You get the um, I used to be the RSC <laughs> alien ambassadors who are like the older yeah. guys. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> Who come and say things like, we, we come here in peace and we <laughs> wish to share our civilization with you. They say things like, our world was once like yours. <laughs> yes. Driven by conflict. And then they say, we are not so different, you and I. Yeah. yeah. That, which I won't even take from an RSC actor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Nick Pope. Yes. Nick Pope said... Um, He said, well, I think of Occam's razor when I read about these aliens. Now, I thought of Pierre immediately, and I thought, Mm. who do I know who who would know what that meant? Do you know what it means? Yes, if there is a... The the simplest solution is probably the... The the right one. The simplest and most logical Mm. uh, answer is probably the answer. Yes, which... um, in a week where my son went to see an Agatha Christie, <laughs> I thought that really doesn't work in whodunits, does it? No. <laughs> because no. <laughs> if I imagine in the real world, that person who had a massive argument with the victim that same afternoon and was seen running out of town covered in blood <laughs> probably did it. Yeah. According yeah. to Occam's Razor. <laughs> yes. But in a whodunit, it's never that. I mean, did a real policeman ever say, <laughs> well, it's a bit too obvious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. O- the, the entire genre exists to defy Occam's Razor. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why yeah. it does slightly interfere with my enjoyment of any Agatha Christie or murder-based thing, is just writing off the most obvious characters mm. from the start. And yeah, I find but the that townspeople, very distracting. The townspeople always hated that guy who's now being blamed. <laughs> they, never, they never trusted him. They always thought he was a loser. Yeah. And doesn't it just suit their agenda now to see him as yeah. the murderer? Just because it was his knife and he's covered in blood and he, the guy hated him and he's and just bought a train ticket out of town. And his long-standing animosity with everyone yeah, involved. and the fact they were going out with the same woman just for those minor circumstantial <laughs> reasons. Have we learned nothing? <laughs> this is Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner. This is Absolute Radio. We spoke the other day. You, you, you were slamming to use tabloid headline terminology, the world of uh, orchestra musicians, because well. you, you saw some that the, their big selling point was how they had actually learned the song. Yes, and I then it occurred to me. I thought it was very me. cheating of them. To, the fact that to be they on script used forever. music. It had occurred to me that classical musicians have just thought, oh, I'm not bother learning it. <laughs> I just take in the. I just read it off the sheet music. Well, so right of reply. Yeah, we got a message from Matt, who's from Litchfield, but um, lives in Berlin now, having married a German violinist. Oh, that's nice. Moving up in the world. Please. I like that. Um, That's very romantic. He says, "Hi, Frank, Emily, and Pierre. Uh, I'm going to give a precy of this. We're in the final link, of course. Okay. I played my wife your podcast and asked her about the need for sheet music." so this is the from the wife. This is passed on by yeah. Matt. A classical orchestra may play hundreds of different pieces every season, normally a different set each week. This large amount of music means there is not enough time to memorise the pieces, unless, of course, your orchestra only focuses on a handful of pieces. I used to do... Uh, when I hosted... It's <laughs> a slight jab there. The, I, uh, I used to host... Um, I used to host uh, a, a show every, a different show every week, and did 25 minutes of new material every week, written by me, mm. which they don't. 
And, um... <laughs> OK, we, we've all had a drink. The, yeah. other, the other point... And maybe. also, if you're in a repertory theatre... Let's say you're at the RSC, you could be doing Richard II one night, Richard III the next. The other point that is made is about uh, making sure that all 60 or 70 people are synchronised. It's more about making sure they're all literally on the same page. <laughs> well, again, this orchestra oh, okay. learnt it. And that happened. But only if this you, one if, piece. If you go and see Hamlet... Look, I don't want it all kicking off in the pit. <laughs> just just I'm piece of music. I, just, I think when people are finally caught, they should put... The, it's like... <laughs> I, I wish the classical musicians would take a... Take a leaf out of the book of the basketball world where you hold your hand yeah. up and say, yes, it was a foul. We've been getting away with it for all these years. Yeah, we've been years, getting away. Up. Fair cop. That's what yeah. I want to hear from the classical music world. Frank, before, before we go, I need to share this. You're, you might be embarrassed by this. I should say Emily's holding a massive spliff. <laughs> for God's sake, Frank. Uh, this is from Thomas Hutchinson. You'll be embarrassed. I don't care. The world needs to know this because this is incredible. Uh, Dear Frank, I recently received my GCSE results and in English literature I got an 8. That's between an A and an A star for the older people. Thank you, Thomas. Mm. I didn't need that. <laughs> I did. Um, so did I. Uh, I believe I can say that I received this high mark due to listening to your poetry podcast, which totally helped me understand the poems and learn something about the poets. Before I started listening, I didn't even understand poetry. Your podcast has allowed me to get the message from the, all the poems. Thank you, Frank, for my high grade. Wow. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, it's a strange ending for I this know, show. I'm sorry, but no, but that's I had lovely. To share that it. is that is lovely. Um, we come to the end of another show. It's been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for listening. Listen again. Um, if the good Lord spares us and the creeks don't rise, we'll be back again this time next week. Now get out. This is Frank Skinner. This is Absolute Radio.